When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Violin Podcast, where we interview violinists from around the world. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the Violin Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us. If you're new to us, please make sure to hit the subscribe button so that way you get notified for when new episodes come out. It also helps the podcast out to provide more episodes for you. In today's episode, we are going to be speaking with not one, but two musicians today, and in our very special episode of Chamber Music. I feel like chamber music is something that we've talked about in the past, but we haven't really had chamber musicians to actually talk about chamber music on the violin podcast. So I have two guests for you today, Abigail and JD, who are actually not violinists on the violin podcast. So this will be a very exciting conversation for you to get a glimpse of what it's like to play in a quartet from a violist's perspective and a cellist's perspective. I hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a couple members from the Verona Quartet. I have Abigail and Jonathan. And from what I heard, actually, Jonathan, there are two Jonathans in this group. So we have uh, Jonathan Dormand, aka JD, right? So was that the, the was that the nickname that you just like, you know, I'm just going to have everybody call me JD or John, Jonathan. Was that like a group decision or was that your decision? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I uh, when I joined the the group, um, I remember it being a, a point of discussion and having a list of uh, possible uh, humorous options. And uh, I think uh, JD was uh, ultimately the one that uh, we settled on because uh, our violinist uh, Jonathan he 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 goes by John, so that was taken. And you know what, JD's got its own special ring to it, so I'll take it. I want to thank you both, Abigail and JD, for you know coming on the Violin Podcast. There's a lot of things that I would love to cover. You're actually the first chamber group, members of a chamber group that I have on the Violin Podcast. So I definitely wanted to spice this episode up a little bit so that way people can dive into the we can dive into the minds of chamber musicians. So I want to start off with how did you guys come up with the name Verona Quartet? I would love to you know get your take on that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having us. And that's an honor to be the first chamber chamber ensemble represented. Um, you know, yeah, I think finding a name is <laughs> it's one of the hardest things. Um, and it always involves so much discussion. It's such a simple thing, but but so so difficult to find. The name Verona, it's it's meant to be a tribute to Shakespeare because he was one of the obviously arguably one of the greatest storytellers of all time. And the reason that's important to us is that we really we know that making music is just one of the many attributes um, that at, at, at its essence is about storytelling and connecting from one individual to the other. So, but it, you know, it, it actually took us a few years to find that name. And and from a practical perspective, we wanted a name that not only said something valuable about our outlook. Um, but was also one that was memorable, that would be easy to spell and easy to remember no matter no matter what language you spoke. Uh, because, you know, the chamber music life is, um, it's really an international one from, you know, 
performing and touring and whatnot, but also, I mean, every member in our quartet's from a different country. So we wanted to make sure that that was representative in the mix as well. Abigail, I want to talk to you as your role as a violist. And I I have a lot of viola friends. I spoke on the violin podcast that, um, you know, I'm not going to put all the violists against them, you know, if they come on the violin podcast, because they're my best friends as well. I would like to talk to you about your role as a violist in the quartet as well, and how you try to, you know, blend in with your, with your um, quartet mates. Oh my gosh, blending. <laughs> blend, um, that's all we talk about in chamber music, right? And orchestra, chamber music, blending is like such a huge topic. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's so, it's so interesting to hear, you know, people will come to us after a concert and they'll say something like, wow, you know, you, you really sound like an incredibly unified whole, but I can always recognize the individual voices and um, it's so interesting to hear people reflect back on that from the outside, um, because the way it feels when you're playing inside the group can be really different. But I mean, as a violist, I, you know, I was a violinist for um, all the way up until I went to college, but I also played viola at the same time. So they were always really integral and integrated in my life. Um, and I played viola and chamber music a lot and violin. And so I think um, hearing from the different sides, you know, and um, I maybe developed a little bit of an early understanding of, well, the differences in the roles and the, and the value in each of those roles. And I just was really drawn to that feeling of being, you know, really, really always so important, but not always the focal point that I was important because I could help facilitate something that was maybe more in the spotlight. And I think that that suited me a lot but what's beautiful about being in a chamber ensemble is that I have so much autonomy as well over the direction of my own my own voice and I you know that's something I absolutely love so when we talk about blends you know that it's that duality of being independent but also woven in and that that's something fascinating for me especially when you're blending with you know more than one person you know you find that a lot in you know beethoven string quartets especially like in the later beethoven string quartets there's a lot of blending that's happening in the lower voices like the cello and the viola but has there ever been a conversation where you all four of you were talking about okay do we want to sound like one unified group where we all sound like one ensemble or have you spoken to each other about okay well we are one ensemble but I want different voices to be heard and every single member is an individual voice has, has that conversation ever come up oh for sure I think we talk about it all the time and we're always sort of growing and adapting I think that one, one of the things I love the most about I don't know if it's this ensemble or just playing chamber music in general is is that you know <laughs> wherever we are, we're always seeking to grow and expand. So we're talking about those kinds of things constantly. We're not satisfied with the way things are because we always want to just deepen our understanding of the relationship within a string quartet. Um, and I think one of the things that does stand out um, amongst those types of conversations is that what we're looking for is that we, we're speaking the same language, the same dialect, you know, the Verona dialect, as it were, um, but that we're so familiar with that kind of unified dialect that we can start expressing individually, but within the same world 
um, within the same sound world. So we'll always be unified, but we'll always be kind of fluctuating within that unified voice. No, it makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, in the in the chamber groups that I've played with, I think that's also a common topic. You know, my wife's a pianist. So whenever I play piano quartets or piano trios, I'm always trying to, you know, fit myself into the world of a pianist. And, you know, you guys are all string players. So the way that you approach the string is very, that, that language is very, you know, is very similar and you guys understand that language. So I'm curious to know what the rehearsal process is like for Verona Quartet because, you know, members of a Far Cry, which is a conductorless group based in Boston, you know, they have like rotating concert masters and without a conductor. So I'm curious to know, is there uh, like a specific piece that one person is dedicated to like, okay, they're the leader of the rehearsal or is there, is it, is it more of like a collaborative effort? I would love for you to speak on that. I think it's a great question. Um, and I, I love, you know, a far cry is amazing. They, um, that they're able to come together as such a large number of people and also a, a, um, a fluctuating uh, roster because they have, you know, guests coming in all the time. Um, we've played with Echo as well. And like they have a very, very similar thing. I think it's a little bit different when you have, you know, in a string quartet and it's only four people and it's the same four people all the time. And I don't know from quartet to quartet, but for us, we're a very, we operate by committee for sure. Um, and we have as much of an equal sort of democratic um, system as possible. Um, it, it's imperfect, of course. I mean, uh, it can't be, you know, 25, 25, 25, 25 all the time. But um, we definitely, it's a very collaborative spirit in all of our rehearsals across the board. Um, that being said, I think what we do have is that um, we know each other's strengths. And so, you know, if one person's particularly great at initiating a certain type of rehearsal, we'll sort of steer into that. And and that person will organically take a somewhat leadership role. Um, but there's no sort of absolute sense of, you know, there's one person commanding a piece or um, a, a type of rehearsal, except one of our techniques for rehearsing is actually to do that, where we'll say, oh, actually, you know, let's have one person lead this rehearsal. And actually, it will be um, an invitation at that point. So a group agreement that from that moment for a period for a period of time, we will have that kind of almost um, like as if that person's the conductor and we just, you know, listen and follow in an absolute form. But with it, we then share that and everybody has an opportunity to do it. So it ends up being uh, collaborative and, and uh um, egalitarian process in the end. Yeah, Jonathan, I love your take on this. Yeah, so I would love for you, for, from the perspective of a cellist, um, with the rehearsal process, because you are you play an integral role of of the quartet because you are you are the base of the quartets. I'm curious to know what you contribute to to the as your role of the cellist because you're the first cellist that we've had on the violin podcast, and I would love for you to speak on your role when you are making decisions to help the group sound its best well um first it's very cool to be the first cellist on a violin podcast so thanks for that yeah sure and um just basically um to add to what abby said i mean i think she said a lot there um very concisely that really captures i think the feeling of of our group in particular as a cellist i mean you know it's a different experience sometimes compared to playing if you're playing a sonata or something and you know as a string player often 
in a sonata you have so much of the melodious writing but even still within that there's a back and forth where you might play something uh more suggestive or accompanimental but in in string quartet of course you know the the roles can be more clearly defined although not always so it is really important that uh, you're bringing your strengths and your feeling of your particular line but at the same time if you have a strong feeling um maybe about i don't know how the first violin or the second violin or the violist um is playing their line well it's never really um my role to sort of tell them how to play it but it's my role if you like to make a, a a general suggestion of of where is it possible for this rehearsal to go and how to play that how did i maybe imagine uh this music in my mind and how do i help um in the most positive fashion um help my colleagues uh maybe realize that if if that's the direction that we're going and it's and we are sort of exploring how maybe i have thought about it so um i think it's it's really all about leaning into somebody's strength and which direction uh you want to take it and sometimes i find that maybe i've been um you know thinking about how a passage could uh be more vibrant in one particular way but i'm not necessarily sure how, how to achieve that but just by mentioning that to the group sometimes it sparks a light in somebody's imagination and they're able to take that and and run with it and really actually sort of sometimes make the initial idea that you've had uh, an even stronger one or even develop it in a slightly different way and it expands your uh, artistic possibilities um in a way that you didn't think was possible. I want the audience of the violin podcast to really listen to what they're saying. So uh, what I'm what I'm getting what I'm gathering from both of you Abigail and uh, JD is that you guys are problem solving together. You know, it's not just like one person hey I have the solution, let's do it. What Abigail said about this democratic process where it may not be equal at times but like okay, someone may spark an idea and all of a sudden you're problem solving together on on the repertoire whether it's technical you know vibrato matching blend i know we talked about blend so blend is always a a recurring topic especially in chamber music but i do want to I, i do want to switch gears because i feel like a lot of these conversations happen when you are when you are recording an album and i want to uh, mention to the audience that the verona quartet has an album called diffusion they have, uh, you know, quartets by Janacek, Shimanovsky, and Ravel. You know, very famous R- Maurice Ravel string quartet. I absolutely love it. But I want you to hopefully talk to our audience on the process of recording in this in a string quartet fashion and some of the conversations that kind of go into the to the process of. Okay, we want to record an album. How can we best portray our playing in these quartets. So I love either one of you to, you know, chime in on that. Well, I think when you know you're choosing to um lay down a recording, if you like, it's important that when you're when you're doing that that you feel strongly uh about 
that music at the time. And so the recording process is, is different to a performing process. In the performance, you know, you work on those details over time and then you go to the concert and you do your best to input whatever it is on the day. And of course, you know, we're human. So, you know, you might make your best efforts to do everything as you wanted, but maybe it doesn't come, come totally to fruition in the concert. But that's also something special, which we're not talking about right here, right now. But the recording is is a much more patient process. So I think one of the beauties of recording, of course, is you can, um, you're, well, of course, firstly, you're recording something and it's really your view and that snapshot of how you view that music at that moment of time. So something like the Ravel Quartet, for instance, which is being recorded, by almost every major quartet. You know, that's, it's interesting when you think about and you're going to say Spotify or whatever, to look at all the different recordings of it and you think, oh, this is how the such and such quartet plays uh, Ravel. And well, maybe, maybe that's true, uh, but it's also possible that that's just how they viewed it in 1999 when they recorded it or whenever it may be. And um, so our best endeavor when we were recording um, was to really just bring that kind of uh, image as we understood it at the time that we recorded it and put our best foot forward. And in that process, one of the nice things about recording, of course, versus performing is you get to uh, do a take and you get to go back and get to listen to it. you get to be able to make those subtle changes over the course of the day or how many days you're recording. And so I I find that a fascinating process. I want to talk about the composers that you chose for this album. Janacek, Szymanowski, and Ravel. You know, Szymanowski and Ravel, 20th century composer. And then Janacek is also a very interesting um, interesting choice for the quartet. I'm wondering if you can speak on uh, the connection that you find between these three quartets and how you, all of you came to the conclusion of recording these three masterworks. Yeah, I think there are there are uh, a couple of different um, uh, paths that we followed to get to this particular collection of pieces and, and the reason why it's called Diffusion. And they were basically, we really wanted, you know, this is our debut album. We wanted something that um, reflected who we were uh, very clearly um, in a sort of recital form that all fit together, uh, but also, you know, was something new um, that that hadn't been done before. I mean, we were talking about the Ravel Quartet that it's been recorded by by many quartets. and And that actually was very important to us that we you know, that we draw from the very long-standing and respected history of the string quartet, because that is so important to us, um, but that we also delve into some combinations and even a piece, you know, piece pieces that are less recorded. So the Shimanovsky second string quartet, although it's fairly well respected and known and, and performed somewhat more in Europe, um, and definitely Shimanovsky was uh, an absolute uh, hero in Poland, um, it's just not a piece that you hear very much in the United States. And we wanted to celebrate that and, and help to initiate that this piece be heard more because it actually has a long history with the United States when I mean, it was written for a competition in Philadelphia for which it won 
it, it was beat by the Bartok's third string quartet, which everybody knows, but why don't we know this, this absolutely spectacular Shimnowski quartet. And then the Janacek's uh, string quartet, the Intimate Letters is also obviously, you know, very celebrated. Um, but in combination with these other two pieces, we were really exploring not only folk traditions in their own right, but the intersection of them. This moment in time when um, people were really starting, I mean, cultures were starting to spread across the globe in a powerful way. And um, there was this creation of a global culture. And that's something that we feel, like I said, we wanted something that spoke to who we are and that very much speaks to who we are as a quartet um, from four different nations and four different distinct cultural backgrounds. Um, so that kind of concept was of, of great value to us. I definitely hear that unity in your playing, that you guys are just having so much fun, you guys are enjoying yourselves, and especially in the Diffusion album, you can it, it is clear that you guys have spent a lot of time just like dissecting how can we best approach this music and how can we... Um, honor this music as best as possible. I know for, uh, you know, Eastern Eastern European composers like Szymanowski, oftentimes, like you said, is not really performed in the U.S. I mean, I performed, um, you know, the one of the Szymanowski violin sonatas, and even then, like, like wait, who's Szymanowski? <laughs> which is... Um, which is uh, kind of tragic because, again, he is a, a great, amazing composer. I would love for us to dive into some of your current projects. What are you guys working on? And you guys have an, a really amazingly busy schedule I saw on your on your website. So you guys are like traveling over the place. And I'd love for you guys to speak about also your, your residency in Oberlin because I find that to be a really cool project as well. Well, I'll, I'll start um, first with the touring and a couple of projects and, and then um, Abigail can uh, explain a little bit more about our uh, longer term uh, residency with Oberlin uh, College and Conservatory. So we've just uh, actually we're in, come to you right now from North Carolina on tour um, where we do have a um, currently another sort of longer term residency with um, a chamber orchestra here in which we create um, a chamber music series of our own and we really, we help this orchestra um, do outreach and get into the community. And uh, it's been a, a really fruitful uh, relationship for us. We've just come off a really fantastic Southern tour. So uh, we just played in um, um, Memphis, Tennessee, and we were in Alabama and Georgia and uh, Arkansas, and uh, also just had a concert yesterday in uh, North Carolina. So that's been really fun because ultimately you know this is what you know you sign up and you say you want to do and I think that when we're performing and what we're working towards really or everything that we work towards in the practice room is really honed on stage so um, you know playing the joy of being able to play Beethoven's uh, Opus 131 several times in a season is it just adds a few more drops to the bucket. So over, over hopefully the course of um, a career, however long that may be, you know, the bucket begins to fill up with a little bit more experience. And um, so that's really one of the joys for us. And um, other upcoming projects, um, we have a, a new album that's going to be released um, soon of contemporary American works. Um, and those composers are uh, Rena Esmail, and that's a fantastic work with a Hindustani singer. Um, her quartet Ragamala and um, two works that were written for the Verona Quartet 
um, one by Julia Adolf, um, a terrific composer who um, probably is most known for her terrific viola concerto. And also uh, Michael Gilbertson's uh, String Quartet, which is a terrific piece and was the runner-up for the Pulitzer Prize a few years ago, uh, losing out to Kendrick Lamar. Um, so no big really... deal, right, Kendrick? Uh, we'll, 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 we'll let that one slide for Kendrick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So no, we're very excited about this um, upcoming project, as well as um, some exciting uh, collaborations that will be coming out and to look out for soon. Also, just for the listeners of the Violin Podcast, Abigail did a little woot-woot for the viola concerto that JD just said. So, um, yeah, no, viola concertos all the way. Bartok viola concerto all day, every day. I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, but, uh, Abigail, I would love for you to speak on... Uh, yeah, th- th- that's the fun thing about Violin Podcast. I like, sometimes I go on, like, on a tangent, and <laughs> it's just funny. But, uh, Abigail, I'd love for you to talk about the Oberlin... Uh, the Oberlin Quartet Residency and how you guys got acquainted with that and how that came about. Yeah, so we're the Quartet in Residence at Oberlin right now. And um, it's an absolutely wonderful place to be. And I I would know that because I'm an OB. I graduated my undergraduate degree in my Bachelor of Music from Oberlin uh, years ago. And uh, (laughs) um, but we were approached by the school, actually not that long before the pandemic, uh, to to come in and be the quartet in residence uh, as a means for actually helping bolster an initiative they call they they have called one Oberlin and um, for for anyone who doesn't know Oberlin Conservatory is obviously one of the kind of premier conservatories in the country um, but also is attached to connected to Oberlin College which is one of the great uh, liberal arts colleges and so for that reason they draw an amazing student body on both sides of the school Um, So there are a lot of uh, students who come to the arts and sciences school to study, you know, they want to be physics majors and econ majors and history majors, but they maybe, you know, could have gone to conservatory and might have considered it. Um, And so they're coming to Oberlin because they know that, that it has such a strong incredible music presence. And so we're sort of there to help um, support this. And so we, uh, we teach these incredible students uh, private lessons. We also um, teach chamber music. Uh, we have a, a, what's called the Arts and Sciences Chamber Collective. Um, so this is a combination chamber music and orchestra. And we also work with the conservatory chamber music uh, students, coaching them and uh, doing master classes and um, collaborate with the faculty on give recitals. And it's a it's a really lively, vibrant. Uh, position to have so we're really thrilled to be there well i'm just so amazed with with all the things that your quartet is doing you know i wish you all the best of luck for like the rest of the season and i'm so happy to make some new friends today i'm always excited to speak to you know colleagues in you know in classical music and talk about you know various aspects of music and you know playing our instruments i feel like it's very important especially in a in, in the times that we are in, I think music is quite an important um, profession at the moment, I would say. I think it's um, people rely on music to, you know, to find hope and everything. And you guys have, you know, created a, a wonderful brand of, uh, of, you know, great musicians playing wonderful music at a high level. So I just want to thank you for, uh, for that. And, and uh, yeah, and I really hope that um, 
uh, I can attend a concert in person because I know you guys were in Northampton. You guys were in Massachusetts recently, and I'm like, ah, oh, I was I was not there that weekend. I'm in Eastern Mass. I live closer to Boston now, but like, oh, I could have visited you guys. But hopefully, when you guys are in Boston or you guys are in New England uh, another time, I'll definitely check, you know, check your schedule and see if I can make an appearance there to, you know, watch you guys perform live. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have Abigail and JD. Thank you so much for uh, for listening to this week's episode of the Violin Podcast. And if you like this episode, uh, please give us a rating and also share this episode to anyone who might be interested in it. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in the next one.